not really familiar. Who exactly are you? Ah, there you go. I've heard about you. My name is Mark Emery, and I've made a career in my adult life of going to prison on principle. 34 different facilities, actually. Six in the United States and 28 in Canada. Nine out of ten provinces I've been jailed in or imprisoned for weed and six U.S. states. What was the longest? Uh, Five years in the U.S., right? the most recent one. And, and for what purpose? I was sending seeds to Americans so they would grow lots of pot, which they did, and that turned out to be very successful because with the money they sent me, I spent about $5 million on ballot initiatives and class action suits against the U.S. federal government and starting all the different global marijuana march rallies around the world and all sorts of really cool things we did with that money. Including we financed the early medical marijuana trials, the legal defense team that made medical marijuana legal, that struck the books and magazines about marijuana were illegal until we struck that down in 1994. So just a lot of different events in my life have happened to have a good impact on our current situation, our movement. And I've just been touring Europe and Asia, uh, trying to inspire people there. I just got back from Bangkok, Thailand's first rally ever, festival for cannabis, 1,300 people. Paid 420 baht to come, which is $18, and which is pretty amazing because you know the military and the police were all there at the actual event, and they wouldn't <laughs> let me speak on the stage. The commander just said that guy cannot speak because they think I'm going to exhort them to break the law or protest or something, right? But I, in Thailand, you can't tell people to protest because they have a military dictatorship, and so you have to be kind of more subtle and clever than that. You can't really confront them directly. You just have to suggest it's for the good of all people that we, you know. Uh, make cannabis legal for medical reasons. So now the Thai government this weekend that I was there just announced that they were going to begin medical marijuana research with Thai people in test trials and stuff. So they, you know, they're going to say they're going to they're they're interested. They're going to put together a protocol. So, you know, mission accomplished because other countries will look to that. The Philippines, especially Malaysia, and uh, begin to modify their current regime. And Malaysia, it's very oppressive. I met Malaysian activists and one person's son had gotten six months in prison for two grams. Now bad things happened in Canada, the three months I spent in Saskatoon was for half a gram joint I passed, I got three months. So people get very smug, oh that could never happen here, oh yeah I can. <laughs> wrong place, wrong time, it'll happen. What was prison life like? Well, I was in six different prisons and they were all very distinctly different. So if you've got the time, I'll tell you about them. I've got the time. Okay, well the first prison, the, the, fir the first prison you go to is a maximum security detention center. And that's where all the criminals, they gather up in a given time who are not given bail. And I'm not going to get bail and neither is... If, generally, if you're in a detention center for more than a couple of days, either you've been denied bail or you can't afford bail. And, uh, well, first thing you learn is you're never going to see the outside again because they opaque all the windows. So there's light gets in, but you can't see anything, right? And secondly, the other thing is you never go outside anyway. So you never see the outside. That, that would kind of make you kind of weird over a while, I think. I'm more prone to probably pleading guilty, right? Because, you know, if you contest your charges, you're going to be in this detention center a long time. And you don't really get outside, you don't see the outside, and it's fairly restrictive life because everybody's there from dangerous offenders to not dangerous offenders until they get sentenced by a court and then sent to a prison. They're all going to get sent away a long time too. Like, you know, five years that I got was almost like a blessing. Everybody else is probably a lot more, especially black people 
charged with crack cocaine or white guys charged with methamphetamine, they're going to get 20 to 30 years a lot of them. How was your actual experience like in the prison with the other inmates? Oh, great. I had a better experience than anybody. Oh, uh, without okay. question. I even kind of miss lots about prison. There, there was so, because a person like me can really take advantage of all that quality thinking time. Mississippi, by the way, has excellent weather. Quality it's really thinking time? Thinking time, yeah. yeah. Because in this world, you don't get You have distractions. Wow. There's, we have obligations. Yeah. we got to go to work. We have a we, different kind of prison out here. Well, it's not. no, no, it's not a prison because you can choose the way you live out here more than you're going to be able to choose. You can choose where your mind goes in prison, but freedom is thought, freedom of thought that you can put into action, that you can make happen. If you can't make it happen, then you're in a prison. Now, you can make a prison out of a lot of metaphorical situations where you can't make something happen. You can even be a prisoner of your own mind. If, you're in, if your mind is such that you're negative enough For not sure, to try yeah. anything, you can be a prisoner. And in prison, you can do an, an awful amount of interesting, good stuff, which yeah, happened yeah. to me. Like, for example, I met all these musicians, and they were amazing. There's a lot of really talented but fucked up people in prison. People who are <laughs> fucked up on drugs and alcohol too. will do some crazy <laughs> shit that gets them 10, 20, 30 years. But then they've got all day to do their thing because they're guitarists or singers. So I saw so many great musicians, and they played some amazing <laughs> music, mostly classic rock, but blues, soul, and Bob Marley, and all this sort of stuff. And I would hang out with them, and uh, they, I said, where do you learn all your songs? And they said, well, we've heard them on the radio, and we're a lot of us professional musicians. And they go, so you can do the songs this well, that are identical, just because you heard them on the radio a few times. He said, oh, yeah. And I said, wow, you guys don't have any books or anything? And they said, no books. I said, wow, would you like some books? And they go, why? Yes, can you get some? I said, I can have people send you a lot of books. And, of course, that's what I tell people. And 20, 30 music books come, 30, 40, Jimi Hendrix, complete Led Zeppelin. And then all these sudden, these guys just skyrocket. And they're doing all sorts of stuff. So anyway, a, couple, a month or two goes by. And then one day they say, listen, the bass player's gone to the hole, solitary, and he's not coming back. So I could read in a number of things there. But anyway, they said, so we want you to be the bass player in the band. I go, oh, I've never touched an instrument in my life. I have no talent, I guarantee you. He says, no, we don't believe that. You love the music, so you'll be okay. And I'll train you. And we figure you should be ready for the next show in six weeks. And I'm going, what, the next show in six weeks? They said, yeah, you should be able to do eight songs by then. I don't see why that should be a problem. We'll just work three hours a day, and you'll be ready. And I go, oh, well, if you're, if you're going to let me be in a band with you guys who are amazing, sure. Sure enough, I actually made That's that show, wow. and the last song was Johnny Be Good, and they doubled the tempo twice, from 4, 4, 8, 8 to 16, and, uh, and then when that, I was able to do that, they said, okay, you passed the audition, so now you're in the band officially, which I was anyway, but, and then I did 14 more shows, played, uh, practice or played every day for three years, and then it, but it becomes my band, because the guy who teaches me, he goes to solitary, and in the paperwork listed the band as my, which was the only, which was the right thing, because eventually there's five guys in the band, they're all unbelievably brilliant. Brilliant. And if any one of those were head of the band, it would be an ego problem because the least talented person by far was actually the head of the band. It was like I could work with everybody perfectly, right? Because they all knew I don't have anywhere near any of your experience or capability. So it's all good that the four brilliant players are not in charge of the band, right? They're in charge of the music, which is a little different, right? So. Anyway, so um, I had many wonderful epiphanies playing classic rock, like just playing the Beatles come together in an electrified studio where we have electric instruments. And it's really... In an electrified studio in prison? Yeah, it's really... The prisoners pay for everything. And wow, how do you pay for it? Everything we spend on the prisoner at the prisoner store after paying the guards and the staff goes into the prison... Where, how do you make your money? I guess you're working? People wire money to your account. 
and you can spend up to $320 a month at the prison commissary. And all the profits from that commissary go into the prisoner trust fund. It pays for everything. It pays for the pool tables, the basketballs, all the sports equipment, the leather craft studio, the art studio, and this music studio. They have a fully electric studio with padding on the wall, soundproofing it, and we play loud. And we play loud in concert too, actually. But really, because you take this equipment outside. But I mean, this studio is amazing. So you're playing Come Together or Jumpin' Jack Flash. I love playing Jumpin' Jack Flash. That's awesome, right? And Whole Lot of Love by Led Zeppelin, plus Heartbreaker, Livin' Lovin' Made. I mean, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Tightrope, Texas Flood. I can't believe it. it took me 30 days to learn Texas Flood. Some things like B.B. King's The Thrill Is Gone, which I love to play, takes, took me an hour to get that one down, really. But 30 days to get Texas Flood, because Tommy Shan's a real bassist, right? Besides, you know, BB's doing all the work and, you know, the thrill is gone. And the bassist just has a lovely little slow blues thing that kind of anchors the song as it does. And then he just gets to do all his stuff over top of that, right? So it's not like the bass player has a hard job. And, I, I, you know, talented people would be good on bass, but you didn't have to be talented. You just had to be working like, just focus on it. And then eventually, halfway through my time with that band, we get mp3 players in the prison and we can actually get these songs and put them on and play along with the song well that's when we, i really move forward right because now i can play the song 30 times up till then i only got the book and when we play together as a group to actually practice whether i've gotten any good at the song are you in touch with any of those guys oh yeah all yeah? Of them. yeah are they out three of them are out one of them won't be out till 2018 and another's got till 2023 but it's interesting how time goes by really fast though and did you know what they were all in for? Oh, God, yes. They all None of them were angels, let me tell you. Uh, the drummer Sap got into a firefight as the head of a cocaine conspiracy with police. Nobody got hurt, though, so he got like 27 years, which he knocked down to 20. Chief was a native guy who played with me a lot, and he was there for second-degree murder, and he said, Mark, I'm really grateful for that, too, because I said I'd kill him, and I did kill him. He got drunk, I think, after that. And so he said, so really, it was first-degree murder, and I could have got the chair where I'm from. So he said, I'm grateful to get 25 years. I thought, well, there you go. There's repentance of sorts. And then Chap shot a man in the back seven times after a drug deal went wrong and someone tried to rob him, and then made off with the cash money, and he shot him in the back seven times. Really great guys though. Yeah. I never saw, they were always terrific to me. Don uh, blew up the place he was in and got charged with arson in a meth lab explosion and he's all scarred as a consequence and his finger, his small finger was blown off, right? And he plays the guitar, right? And it was amazing how in Jerry Garcia-like he could play with just three fingers and a thumb right on that. They were really, really good at it. But he was a guy, that, one of the guys that said, I'm, if I didn't come to prison I would have killed myself. Like I would have done something so stupid that I was hell-bent for destruction. And he says, I feel I've straightened out, right? We'll see. It's easy to kick drugs or alcohol when you're away from temptation. Now, there's a lot of alcohol in prison, so you're not really that far away from temptation. But the alcohol is of such poor quality that, you know, you know you're probably alcoholic if you really want to drink this stuff. Are you making right? it in the prison? Oh, they make it out of anything. Yeah. The prison tries to stop Potatoes, people from making alcohol, but everything has carbohydrates yeah. or sugar. And so, but unfortunately, they end up banning a lot of fruits. Like eventually, we don't get grapefruits or oranges because people make alcohol with grapefruits and oranges. What's that? Five years. You know, it's funny how quickly it goes by. Plus, I'm glad I did it at my age and not when I was younger, because I think 
you know, you at my age, you can learn from that experience and do good things with it. Man, I loved reading a book every 10 days. I had 25 <laughs> magazine subscriptions that I read thoroughly. So I read a book every 10 days. I haven't read a book in two years since I've been out of prison. I read a book every 10 days. I wrote the most beautiful works I've ever written in that time. I had hours to think about them, came up with wonderful <coughs> essays and great stuff that got published. I hardly have time to write anything. Right? So how old were you when you... Uh, I got out when I was 56, so when I'm 58 now. I went in 51, which is a good okay. time. You know. okay. Plus, I had really great parents who were long gone now, but the thing is they were awesome people. And if, you, if you're brought up by two loving parents, you can handle the slings and arrows of life fairly readily and easily, right? Because you have confidence, you feel love, you don't have a, a negative outlook on life. I knew this when I was... Uh, I had a drug addiction clinic for people from 2003 to 2004. And I treated 65 people, one after another, and it took about a week, with this rare African extract called Ibogaine hydrochloride. And it stops drug addiction and drug craving right away, which is a great thing. So if you're fearful of withdrawal, as most morphine addicts and heroin addicts, oxycodone, uh, and especially methadone, no, it doesn't work for alcohol. There's a reason it doesn't work for alcohol, though. It will keep you, it will, first of all, beer will taste really bad for about a week. So it tries to discourage you by actual physical alchemy of your body, re rejecting cigarettes and rejecting alcohol. But the problem is you're likely going to go back into a milieu where there is alcohol and people who consume it. If you drink, here's the thing I know. Most of my friends speak English like I do probably look white and smoke pot. I don't go to bars. I don't hang out with people who drink alcohol regularly. I'm not typically with religious people because I don't go to any kind of religious institution. I don't speak any other language fluently, so I wouldn't be able to communicate very effectively with someone who didn't speak English. So this is how we define our social circle, right? So oftentimes it's a reinforcing social circle. Like they're all people that smoke pot. They're not really people from other cultures, right? That's why it was great to go meet people who smoke pot and didn't speak any English in so many different countries. That was just it. So, do you all often wear your name on your No, these are all gifts. Actually, though, I have every kind of sports jersey. Some official, like the Vancouver Canucks, have given me four, two 420 jerseys with my name on it and 420 on both the back, just like a proper Vancouver. One from 2002, one from last year. And when I was in prison, I had these brilliant Mexican artists take a white t-shirt and put the Raptors logo on, which they did perfectly, with my name, Emery, four, and 420 on the back. And I have this Blue Jays one that somebody made me. They put that on instead of Prince of Pot. But, you know, that's just, that's my alter ego. My, yeah. Smoking Jays. Right, it's my Blue Jays tribute one, right? So this, basically, you can turn any sports team into a weed-centric kind of tribute. And I kind of, I have a prison-made one. An illegally made one and two officially made ones, right? So oh. just different for it. Oh, yeah. How is uh, it made illegally? Well, this is illegal because it's copyright yeah. contravention oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's clearly meant to confuse people, and that's one of the two criteria for trademark infringement. <laughs> is the public likely to be confused? Yes, they certainly are because it's deliberate. And uh, can they lose money? Well, they're not making any money from this, so they can make a case that, you know, they should profit by the sale of these things, right? And they probably make a good argument. The argument against is they would spend a hundred times more in legal fees what they could ever hope to get, maybe a thousand times more. And you know what? People who would make something like this would love to get sued, if only for the attention, right? So are you now, by default, a political 
Well, not by default. I ran for office <laughs> to begin with in 1980, and okay. I've run 12 times. Oh. It's just I'm unelectable. But that, but but would I call myself a politician? No. Have I run for office many, many, many times? Yes. How about an activist? Oh, you can call me an activist. I'm certainly that's me for sure. This one, going this way. I'm seeing my publisher or my prospective publisher on Monday, Arthur Collins, and I've written all the chapter titles, a hundred of them. I've written some of the chapters. And, but my job was really to get it done by the end of the summer because I'm going on tour in August and I'm supposed to have it done by then. So I'm really going to have to work my ass off in June or July to justify any advance money. Because the likelihood is I won't get much after that because of a key reason. Uh, if it's really popular and I would get money, the government will go on to see it for back taxes. Once they see a book with my name on it, they'll go to the publisher and say, any money you're going to give him, we are garnishing it, right? Or they could also go, hey, you, the whole book is about your life of crime. You're not allowed to profit oh, from your crimes so in publishing a book, so we will seize all your revenue for, as proceeds of crime, right? So they have either one. So it's a pretty certain bet that unless they're really asleep at the wheel, they're going to end up taking the money after, after my, my deposit, after they give me a 10000 advance or whatever. Then that seems like what it would be likely. Then that's the rest of it would probably get garnished by the government. But I don't care because at least HarperCollins has a vested interest in promoting that book, right? Because they're a big company. They get in airports. That's the only place people buy books anymore. Really, is airports, and uh, and that's where people have time to read them. I mean, it's like period of solitaire, solitude that you want to take advantage of. Now, there's a lot of better solitude in a prison than there is on a, a seven, you know, twenty-seven airplane, right? All cramped up in there, but. I was going to ask you, how do you feel about Bill 45? Which is in Ontario. Remember, that's an Ontario bill, right? That's not a federal bill. That's a bill in Ontario. Well, I don't live in Ontario normally, okay. so just brief me on what that is. <laughs> I don't know if I can brief you on Can you? How about you, uh, Superman? How would you, how would you describe Bill 45? <laughs> when you're, when you're well, what's the subject of it? Trying to classify, trying to basically put tobacco and liquid legalization, and the provincial government say we're going to take away the places where you. Oh right, okay, the vaporizer restriction laws. Vaporizing and smoking. Yeah. They're trying to basically put tobacco and cannabis into the same category. Yeah. So whereas you can't smoke in public with tobacco, they're trying to basically do the same thing with cannabis. There's obviously a lot more to it than that. But that's well, first of all, we always have to make sure people are reminded constantly that marijuana is not harmful. It's not going to, I mean, when tobacco gives 40,000 Canadians a deadly cancer a year versus zero, clearly they're not similar. And it's unfortunate that they keep trying to link it to alcohol. In fact, it's even worse than alcohol. Because at least alcohol you can make at home, you can buy it in a distribution outlet, a store. You can drink it with friends in any one of thousands of locations. <laughs> Right, so they, which they don't even want to let us do, right? They don't want to let. So you can see that they still are demonizing cannabis to, to make us think that it's worse and potentially more hurtful than alcohol or tobacco, which is insane. Right? And that even children. I said, well, what about children? I said, well, who cares? So what if your teenager gets weed? What do you care? Like, what's going to happen? What are you worried about? Well, what exactly? Nothing, because everybody who smokes cannabis, with me, is the only exception. I started when I was 22, but everybody else. I know, so I smoke cannabis anywhere from 11 to 50, right? And I consider those people all normal and turned out good. Okay, you're a late bloomer like me, I'm 21. Mark, would you like a dab before we go? The torch has run out, so we're going to have to do it inside. But there's one here for you. Okay. We've got a taxi coming. Um, so do you fancy coming in for a dab before we shoot off? Awesome.
Well, thanks for giving me a lift over here. And for bus. Yeah. Just good to repay the favour. You took me for lunch in my home country. I felt I had to do this. No, well, thanks a lot. It's good to be back in Canada. Having Scotsmen and women buying me dinner. Hell yeah. Uh, it's only good to be repaid the favour. Are you guys visiting? Yeah, yeah, we're just visiting for the minute. Nice. Um, here until Sunday. Here until Sunday? How do you like mm. it so far? It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Like here? Hopefully we'll be home soon. Oh, yeah. 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 That good. Man, Kevin. Oh my god, what, 1999? Yeah. That was... Uh, I called your hotel. I got you over to the... Apartment. Afterwards, where Afterwards. we met everybody. Man, we had a big yeah. crowd that day. There was like 15 yeah. people mm -hmm. crammed in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's when no, Timmons didn't have the internet or something like that. Yeah. When I said, well, are you guys on the internet? And they said, Timmons won't get the internet. I'm going, oh. Now, that's funny because it had only been around five years. Hey, yes, goodbye. We'll see you later. Yeah, okay. Are you okay with being recorded? Yeah, sure. okay. No, hold on. I'm going to do a dab with him. Yeah, yeah, go for it. So just hold tight and I'll be right back. Go for it. Enjoy yourself. <sighs> it's so nice out. A bonfire would be better. Yes. A bonfire. Why don't they have bonfire and marshmallows?